Imagine growing up in a world where you're not accepted for what makes you different. Not being accepted into social groups because of your differences, where otherwise you have earned the right to be a part. Imagine feeling being too dark, overtly unattractive, being poor, coming from a dysfunctional household, and gay. Well, Brian Broom's creative word composition brings you into that world. The Bruz Bookshelf presents to you Brian Broom's debut memoir, Punch Me Up to the Gods. Give it up. to the Bruz Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Welcome to another podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens. I'm joined here with my beautiful wife, Dr. Teresa Givens. Hey, that would be better half. My better half, beautiful wife. Thank you, know, you so much. Tomato, tomato. Hey, we're joined with my original host, Mr. Walt Baby Love. What's up, Walt? What's going on? What's going on? I'm here with my line brother, the Deuce Dog. Oh yeah, Roots of the Cues, the Clay Donovan Snipe, and all of that. Ruth. <laughs> also, I'm here with the smooth, baritone, silky voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton the Third. Y'all, we have a guest today. He's a special guest, and there's never been anything regular about this guest. I'm about to introduce you to the podcast. I'm going to start off with the most basic thing. That's my line, brother, and he's the tail. The 17 off the fall 2001 line. This brother came to FAMU fall 1997-98. By his second year, 98-99, he was the vice SGA president. The following year, he was the SGA president, 1999-2000. This brother was seen on CNN and all the major news network as the president from leading the One Florida Initiative March on the Capitol and going up against Jed Bush. He was accompanied by our frat brother. We wasn't in the frat then by Jesse Jackson. So this brother has always been in good company. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. When this brother crossed in 2001, 
this brother became the national undergrad rep for Omega Sci-Fi. He traveled around with the grand bossless, George Grace. He would go and uh, visit different churches, different states, different cities. Oh, let me tell you something else. When this brother would go to the church, and if it was a small church and they didn't have a piano player, a music, a ministry, he said, don't worry <laughs> about it. I know I'm here as a guest. Let me, let me, what, what's, keys. A, what selection do you have? Let me just jump <laughs> on the keys and tickle the ivory a little bit. Oh, you don't have a lead singer for this song? Don't don't, don't worry about give it. Give me the mic. Give me the mic. <laughs> so I can play the keys, the mic, and I can give you a speech. This brother graduated, and he furthered his studies, not at a regular school to go get his, his master's degree. This brother got accepted into Carnegie Mellon at Pittsburgh to further his degree. But let me back up. Because I'm not doing him any service by jumping to when he went to school. No, this, brother, this, this brother graduated, started working as an architect, started getting promoted as an architect. And he was working in one of the most racist environments in one of the most racist firms. I think it was a descendant of Strong Thurman. They fell in love with this brother. He was doing community service. He became a staple in the community in Brunswick, Georgia. So the brother tried his hands at preaching because, you know, the brother is multi-talented. His very first sermon, Teresa and I went up there to go to the church to witness his first sermon. That was an old man that passed out with the Holy Spirit from his very <laughs> first sermon. <laughs> no, I feel like this is like a movie. Okay. This is like a movie on Showtime or HBO Max. Hey, don't be tonight, dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, hold on, hold on. But it, the story doesn't stop there, Harvey. The story, this brother thought and they said, you know what? God has given me too much talent to stop here. So if I just start a small church, I can only touch but so many people. Let me go out and explore and find myself and expand my territory. So this brother got a scholarship at the prestigious Carnegie Mellon to study architecture. While he was in Pittsburgh, he started doing some other things because when I tell you this brother is not regular, he's extraordinary, extraordinary. This brother started helping small programs and nonprofit businesses, started writing them grants, started finding the money. Then he found his niche. His niche was, I could go and talk to people and raise capital and help other people. While his brother was at Carnegie Mellon, the Omega Sci-Fi chapter, he found their charter in Pittsburgh. He moved on. While he was at school, he started doing all these other special things. He started making connections. Then he helped found this small company that you probably heard of it because Jay-Z blew the company up because he's a big investor called Partake Foods, which was started by our Neo, who he helped his freshman year. And the Neo got into some trouble. Only Derek Heck could have got him out of where it was swept under the rug. So Derek moved on from there. <laughs> this brother currently so, is getting. Oh yeah, this brother is currently getting his PhD at Stanford back. University, and not only is he getting his PhD at Stanford University, he is a founder, a co-founder of another company called Powerbytes, and you can find it at eatpowerbytes.com. 
Listen, it's an honor. It's a privilege to welcome this next brother to the podcast. I don't call Derek the king, but I refer to Derek as the king maker. I want to welcome to the pod my brother. And when I say my brother, I'm not talking about my live brother. I'm talking about my brother where I can go to his house and spend the night with his mom and dad so they can talk to me and my wife about our relationships in Derek's absence. This is one of my most special guests that I've ever had to the podcast, Mr. Derek Ivan Heck. Derek, you can tell them that your parents like me better. <laughs> no comment, no comment. But they are—they—they they do advocate on your behalf uh, quite uh, quite often. But man, I don't know how to, uh, how to follow that up. But I'm—I'm I'm so glad to be. Here, so we had to be on the podcast and, and looking forward to the, to the dialogue. That was, uh, I mean, gratitude for that introduction. You took me down memory lane. I, I don't know how much um, of that I I, re, I remember uh, or has had tucked away, but I, I appreciate you for, um, for for bringing some of that stuff to mind. I appreciate. Yes, it. brother. Yes, brother. Uh, you are uh, at the top of Mount Rushmore in a lot of people's minds. When people say Derry Keck, you just sit back and just be like, oh, he did this and Derry Keck did da-da-da-da-da. And you know how it is. You know so much so that while you at school, you don't want to say much because everybody wants you to be the leader in every group that you're in. But anyway. That's because Derek- social media didn't show the rest of my life. So I appreciate, I appreciate you for capturing the good parts. So, uh, oh yeah, it's all good. All, all the parts are good. Just want to let you know all the parts, all the parts set you up to be the success you are today and the man that you are today. Well said. Well said. Listen, this book, we start the podcast off and we just ask the question, Hey, such and such, why you picked this book? And today that such and such would be me. I picked this book because I've been talking to Derek and trying to get Derek on this podcast. And Derek said, bro, you read this book called Punch Me Up to the Gods? This book is so good that I've done a a paper on it and a full review on it. And so I picked the book because of Derek. So I'm going to pass the mic to you, Derek, and you can tell us why you picked the book, why this book means so much to you, and then we can just roll into the conversation. Okay, so I picked the book one because uh, I met Brian Broom back uh, some years ago. That's the, uh, of course, the, the author, and I met Brian on the back porch in Pittsburgh at at my god sister's house. And so her house is the kind of house that you could go there, and it would be artists, attorneys, people from all walks of life. You never know what anybody did because she had just that kind of eclectic uh, friend group. And so I was there, and uh, my Pittsburgh godparents were also there. And if you knew that couple. Uh, he is an attorney, just now deceased, 90 years old, founded healthcare law. She's 91 years old, a chemist. Talking about this kind of a black couple who've made such uh, strides in, in, in the world. Uh, they were all there. And that's how I met uh, Christina and, and Brian. But I get there. And so I can be a little bit formal if I don't know everybody in, in the space. And so when I first meet Brian, we're just kind of going back and forth and sharing different stories. And so we fast forward. You know, everybody shakes hands and we leave. But then Brian says, 
uh, let's, let's stay in contact. So we become Facebook friends and I see his writing on Facebook and this is prior to the book. And there's all this, these longer, um, longer Facebook posts that never get boring. They always tell some kind of insight to a story. I said, man, he's got a book inside of him and you can just tell. I didn't know that he was going to be writing this book. So I follow him in that way. And then fast forward to me moving to, to, uh, to Palo Alto, I see him post, Hey, I'm moving to the West coast. And I said, Oh, when you get out here to the West coast, hit me up. I'm here. You remember me from Christina's house? Of course I remember you. Let's, let's link up. So we get here and he invites me to dinner for his birthday. And it's he and I and a friend of his named Tara. And so they're like, well, who are you dating? And I said, oh, I'm dating this guy that I met at Stanford. And then Brian's like, what the, what, what you date? He said, you were, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. You dating a who? I said, yeah, (laughs) yada, yada, yada. And he said, no, he said, when I met you, you were the, he said, I saw you and said, hey, he's, he's cute. That's the straightest nigga I've ever seen in my life, right? So he, um, he said you were just Southern and formal and just like that Southern gentleman is what he thought in, in his head. And, I, and I'm sure I was being a bit formal in, in my presentation because um, I didn't know everybody there. So, I, I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of what you get. And so after he hears that, he then says, oh, man. And we start talking like we've known each other for probably our entire lives uh, because there's a shared shared space where you know he's got this book that i just heard about and i he's he's unpacking his whole life you know unfolding things about race and class and gender and i go through the same process in a a different kind of way so that that immediately bonded us on on a different level so i had started the book at the time and then i read it um read it again i've got uh, this is my copy where i take notes is my other copy i've got three other copies to give away. Uh, so I've got a few copies of this book and I've already given away two copies already. And so I, I chose it because he's a brilliant writer, but I also chose it because I saw myself in many of the passages. Every time I turned the page, I kept seeing myself and I kept seeing myself. And the structure of the book is brilliant. And I thought, man, this is, I don't know if I'm just into this book like this, um, but it was what I needed at the time uh, as I continue on this whole, uh, this life process. And so it, it was cathartic for me. It was um, it was freeing for me. It was encouraging for me. Um, and so I just I wanted to share with anybody who, who I could. So that's why I shared it with you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and really quickly, <laughs> when I told you uh, some time ago that I was gay, you told me, you said, you know what? I think about the many times that I couldn't or I wasn't an advocate. I wasn't refuge. Uh, I just wasn't a safe space. Not because I didn't want to be, didn't try to be, but I didn't know that I needed to be. And I probably didn't do some things where you felt comfortable having me be such. You said, but I won't have my son be that way. And so when you sent me the video of Noah reading the book the other day, I sent that to Brian and he said, man, it's too early to be crying. Because we're we're both going through those kind of things. But to see you raise Noah in an intentional way and so as to break a narrative. Uh, means I don't know. It, your friendship means the world, but to see what you're doing and activity uh, and how to move that forward is is tremendous. It's tremendous. That's dope. That's dope. That book resonates with you a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it resonates with me on the other side. Yeah, of the book. You know, I was I was the antagonist in the book, so I could see it from the different lens. 
as I'm reading the book, I had questions about the book. You have to realize that I was in my late 30s, early 40s when I realized that I knew somebody that was gay that I was close to and I was, you know, that I was close to and I loved and I endeared myself to. Right. I never knew anybody that was in my circle. So when I met, when I found out that you were gay, I was like, yo, I love Derek. Derek is like, <laughs> he's like a superhuman to me. You know, like you do things that are like, again, it's not regular, but he's gay. So I guess it's okay. Right. <laughs> so that's what I used to ask you all. You remember yeah. I used to ask you all these like, these like questions because I never had an idea. <laughs> so when I'm reading this book, this book is taking place in the eighties in the early nineties. And people were oblivious because nobody, Nobody invited that into their space. And that's what he's talking about throughout this whole book. As soon as they find out, they kick him out the space. <laughs> no, I had a I had a wholly totally different, totally different take on this on this book. And I I think um what Derek said about the book, I totally agree. And so far, I totally disagree at the same time. I'll get to that part later. Um <laughs> uh, what I appreciated about this book because this book had me on the edge of my seat. Not with the gayness, that didn't bother me. I thought this was about to be another one of those beat up black men books, because it, it it brought me to that edge. And I gotta salute Brian for not doing that. Like this book did a very good job of bringing the issue of the black male um, in the context that we live in as it pertains to I need to be tough. I need to be uh, firm, um, particularly as he, he's using this story about uh, Tuan, this, this young man he's watching on the bus interact with his father. Let me rewind that. A young father and his son. He's mm -hmm. watching that interaction and he's, he's, he's telling a story and it's reminding him of his childhood. But nonetheless, um, Bro, like I was hoping that this would be one of those books to to Derek's point where like I want everybody to buy the book because I want to support the author, but I don't want nobody to read this shit. Like like this book was painful in a weird way, hmm. and um, when I saw Noah reading it, I was like, Doug, take it away from him. So you know, it's interesting to hear that part of it. So uh, that's my initial reaction. I I I I didn't like the book. You know what I'm saying? Like I appreciated the story. But I did not like this book. It made me feel uncomfortable throughout the whole the whole time. But um, yeah. Can I ask you what was more uncomfortable about it, like or what, like why why should people not read it? Because uh, I can hear appreciation and like I'm reticent to to move to like I can see that I can see both of those. So what would you say? Don't read this book because it's we share trauma. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain it runs deep. Share it with me. We have, you don't just read somebody else's experience and that's just them. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that shit, you got to wear that too. And I didn't, some of the stuff that he was doing, uh, where it be what people did to him or his own personal choices, I just didn't want to, like, it didn't make me feel good, you know? And so that's the issue with, 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 with storytelling. You know, it's important that we tell the truth, but as hearers and receivers, we got to wear that. And sometimes it's just, it can be too much. I understand what you're saying, Harvey. And to your point, it was quite a painful story. 
And, you know, for you, especially Derek, to say that you can relate to some of this, I guess it has to go into my brain and say, hmm, because no one and not myself, I wouldn't see you identify as much with this character simply because as I was reading, we all experience things through our lens and who we are and and what we have. And I just, he wasn't a very strong character, you know, and of course I see you differently. I see you more as, you know, a pillar of strength and being able to get through. I mean, we all struggle. We all have things that we may or may not want someone else to see, but I just felt like, a lot of his experiences came from a place of almost not even trying. He didn't try. He was a punching bag. I didn't understand that. Because I don't think that growing up in the environment that he grew up with his mother and dad, he never understood love. He was never really introduced to love and self-worthiness. His mother did not like his daddy, but he looked like his daddy. His mother wasn't attracted to his daddy, but yet he looked like his dad. Right, and that story evolved, too, because I also had a question. Um, Because at one point he said in the story that it was almost like a happy time when they went to pick their dad up from work. They were in the car, they got in, and they were laughing on the way home or whatever. And, you know, the dad kind of overcompensated with gifts and that they really couldn't afford But then later in the story, we learned that the mom never really liked the dad at all. So I was kind of like, that was, that, that took me in a circle. Well, that's not surprising. Lots of folks is married to folks that don't like me. I think it's trying to cope and make love of what they (laughs) have. So like, I'm going to make the best out of whatever situation I'm in. And this situation, the best time we having as a family is... Picking up my dad from work. Picking up my dad from work and on the way back because it's like an adventure. My daddy can't really afford none of the stuff he's buying, but like this is our happy moment. This is the model of happiness. I'm this is what I think happiness looks like for a family. And so for this brief moment, I'm gonna have this with this. And it might have been true for all of them. Like, I mean, like you said, the wife, she hated that man like the entire time. With a passion. But like, what do you do in traumatic situations, like persistent traumatic? situations in order to find joy like you still have to do something in order to like pull it out so i think that's probably like where all that happiness came from because they and hate each other so like what you do like that's like it only like when i think about like slavery times and stuff like that like okay these people are under harsh conditions but like they still had to at some point find out a space to smile about something um and I think that's just part of the human experience. You just kind of find it and experience it whenever you can, even if it's in the most like troubling conditions. Yeah. Right. I th- and I, I think, think, go ahead. No, well, I, I was going to say uh, my perspective on the book overall, I, I actually, um, I think this guy is a brilliant, a brilliant writer. Like the way he, he was able to pretty much like grab my mind and I can like visualize the words pretty much coming well, I was listening to it on Audible, but be able to visualize the words and the scenery and like the way he set things up, like dude can really, really write. Like that's the first thing. Like, cause we've read several Absolutely. other books and this can, book right here in comparison to other books that we have read uh, or listened to in the past, like this guy can write on a whole nother level. 
And I would say like it gave me a deeper look into me and, and a, deep, a deeper look and also meaning into like black masculinity as it pertains to a, a gay African-American man and what challenges in which they face uh, pretty much the the uh, the young adulthood process and becoming the man themselves, you know. And a lot of those uh, challenges that they face, we deal with as well, too. Like, I didn't realize that it was that many challenges as far as like racism within the gay community as well, too. It opened my eyes up in a whole nother level. So I, ha- I had to read the book twice to get a better understanding of uh, like why he was using his reference as far as like the guy Twan. And the second time I read it, I had a better understanding of it because in well, my opinion, it was more so like when he was on that bus ride and he, he saw... Twan's father as his dad and Twan was crying and his dad was always suppressing his overall feelings as far as how he should express himself as a man. And that was like, man, that, that, that was pretty deep. But it's not even just for the men in their house. The mother was talking about how, how feelings were insignificant and when, when she, the, uh, the scene where she picked them up from school in Ak- uh, from Akron, she didn't ask him what was going on. She said it was kind of like it, it was just a tacit uh, understanding between them two. The only thing she knew is she knew that there was something wrong with her baby, and that's all she needed to know, right? And yeah, they did- I read that totally different too. It was like well, frustration. Like I told his ass not to go up here. Now I gotta go get him. Damn it! He doesn't. That's, that's right. But when, she, when, she, when he came back home, though, she, they, they they never really discussed. It won't what no happened. love. You're right about that. It won't no love in it. Well, I mean, I think that's part of the love. communication that they had. Like, like, like how some parents apologize to their kids by buying a McDonald's. Like she just is like, well, I'm gonna be here for my son, but I'm not. I'm just gonna be here. I'm not gonna talk about it. Like because right. I don't have the skills. The I don't have any in my toolbox. To break this down, but I know my son needs me, so I'm gonna just do what I can do. But that's a yeah, part of the story too, you know. It's it's a it's a part in which I can go back to what Harvey was saying. It's it's not the book that you kind of take that that you don't like. It's the negativity that is a part of the black experience that you don't Absolutely. want to relive on, in print. Damn. So, you know, <laughs> you, you're, you're feeling it. It's, it's like watching Everybody Precious. Everybody got this story. It's like, yeah. damn. It's like yeah, watching Precious. Save you, Harvey. Well, it's like, what was that? You know, you I said, not going to save you for me. No, no, no. You're right. I mean, that's the, the you know, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's everybody's story, right? Mm-hmm. At some point, some degree, right? Yeah, I think I think like we 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 navigate the world, and some of who we are puts us in the dominant position, and some of some of who we are puts us in the subordinate position. So if it's a room full of women and there's Teresa there, and you start looking at race, now she's the only black woman. So it's like then you got race blank being an issue, and then you add you know. Uh, some some women who are are trans, and so now we like there's another pecking order. So like it depends on who you are and what you're carrying with you. It, it, it's like um, I feel like we're all reading the same script, like in life. But then we get surprised, like like you you assume your role is equal, but you're like, no, there we need you to sit, stand back, sit back. You're not first here. You're like well, I got it's not the same the same movie. Well, in this movie, everybody's playing, so you don't get first chair here, and you walk into the set thinking like, well, don't I deserve? first space where we're no look at these other actors and their script has now positioned me in a certain place decidedly so I can't be who I thought I was going to be because society says this is your spot this is your place 
And so, and when I think about uh, what you're saying, Harvey, about this, about seeing it, it is easy to turn a blind eye for a moment. I don't think that's like the long solution. Like I think being in relationship with people who allow you to walk through it and you offer moments of grace and growth, I think are what's, what is, what are, that's necessary. Um, they're friends that I've heard say some things about being gay and they've been talking about it, not knowing they're talking about me. So I've been in proximity to some of the most harsh right. comments. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and so you think about that trauma is something we, you know, I'm, I'm living it, but the others, don't, they don't know that they're, they're dishing right. it out. You know, right. and so like when I look at uh, with Lenny, he could have said something years ago and I could have been like, you know what, let's cut this off. And there've been some friends that I've held on to because I can see their heart. And I'm like, you know what, let me, let me keep some distance to keep me safe from the harshness from the conversation. Let me just hold out hope. But I don't have the capacity at the time to do that work with them right now. So I, I figure if there's a time, if there's there's a relationship that's worth it, it may not be the right time, but I would encourage not only reading the book, but broaching whatever the subject is, uh, we're in a community and with people who will challenge you uh, and help you as you change perspectives and grow perspectives. But I would not say step away from it. So here's the thing. So when he's on the bus and we open up with, with him on the bus watching the young father and he he's, I think he coins it the initiation of Twan. Is that what he calls it? Um, one of my, one of my big homies, Kamal Patel always talks about how manhood is the hardest hood that young, that we have to go through, you know, the experience, our, our development as men, right? Manhood. And, and, and so the initiation of Twan, we're watching this and to Walter's take, you get this thing about this young father suppressing his son's emotion. And 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 I, I get to the edge of my seat. I'm like, man, let's not beat up this young dad. Is this going to be another one of these, these these stories where this this whatever this thing black men are doing to protect and love our sons is now being under attack and we're being looked at as the victim. To Teresa's point, this is the black experience that we're being um, presented with in this text. And I'm not sure that without effort and intention, we're going to get to understand who the real boogeyman is, right? It's real easy to just leave it at this is heterosexual against gay. And I don't, I don't think it's that. I think it's way deeper than that. I think, I think his sexuality is only a part of his story. You know, but I don't think that's what this is about. No, I, th- I well, think I mean, part of it. I think it's definitely part of it because Brian and I are different in certain ways. Brian and I grew up different uh, socioeconomically, so some of the things that he dealt with that that I won't I won't deal with. Like the book, right? I put this book in the in the category of a of a counter narrative that mm-hmm. it speaks to um, the dominance of the white identity. It speaks to the dominance of the white male identity. It speaks mm-hmm. to the dominance of capitalism. Um, and commercialized lives where if, if the industry goes, I'm left, you know, in this vacuum and I, now I don't have any resources. There's no, there's no safety net for a certain amount of people. And so I think this book speaks to all those things at the same time. Um, and that's why I like it because I think it weaves all those things in there and it blurs the lines and, uh, really, really uh, seamlessly, I think. It does. And it, it has, um, I guess I want to say parallels and levels and there's so many different things. And to your point again, Harvey, um, 
I see winning, what dog. you're I'm saying. Winning. I'm, winning. I'm not, not, not. No, not necessarily. Where's the claim? I still yes, got it. Like, <laughs> no, because no, it's very, we all know that very rarely do I agree with Harvey. And I'm not you agreeing. When you team, you get that yes, case. I, I am not agreeing. Let, let me make sure. This is a disclaimer. I am not agreeing with Harvey Henson III at this moment. <laughs> what I'm saying is pointing out that you were on the edge of your seat and thinking, you know, I don't want this to be that. But... For me, I was thinking about this toxic masculinity that you all, you know, don't really like to talk about a whole lot on this podcast. But, you know, this whole toxic masculinity of having to be hard and having to make sure that, you know, emotions aren't shown at the wrong time. And I realized that these are things that have kept us safe over all of these centuries. But by the same token, it is also killing our families and our communities and our relationships. Um, and we have to be very clear. And you say, you know, the boogeyman, I mean, is there one? I mean, if we had to say what the boogeyman is, I'm going to have to go with you, Harvey, again, which is, you know, the whole system that is set up to keep us apart from each other and to divide us in ways that keep us separate instead of, the same because there's so much about all of us that is the same. And I just, I don't want to forget. And, you know, Derek, you touched on the fact that maybe the socioeconomic level and some other things made this story a lot more raw, but there was so much self hate in this, uh, you know, in, in a lot of what he was saying. And I don't want to be cliche, but, you know, being who I am and the people that I know, it was bad for him, you know, and, and I realized and I've watched and I know how hard it is. I can only empathize because I don't know, but he just took some things. So, you know, he just internalized them and did nothing. It was like he just allowed himself to be put in this position by his friends, um, by his family. He just never even said anything to, to anybody. Peer pressure didn't allow him to say no. I think that was probably too. I think that's because his the way he was had to deal with the trauma and like he he never really had anybody in his life that was affirming, right? His father never really affirmed him. And Lenny had spoke about something to, to that point um on another book we did where it's like if your father doesn't defend you, if you don't see your father as a strong person, then you kind of yourself will no, I said I said your mother gives you nurturing and your <laughs> father gives you confidence. There you go. He never got that. So like without that, he he's not gonna die, right? We're human beings, so we're gonna adapt and cope. And his coping mechanism was to kind of to coward some things, or maybe to like over exaggerate or to lie. Like that was or just blend in. Yeah. Exactly. Blending oh, get yeah. mixed in become invisible because like if nobody can see me, then they won't know to attack me. And I think a lot of that kind of goes on. That's like a like a that's like a that's common how, response to a lot of that's things. how he developed his drug habit. Yeah. Trying well, to blend well, it. Hey, like I think like for, for mm-hmm. me, I, I think what I want to remember is that when I when I hear when I hear you say, Teresa, self hate, I, I, I see self hate as a reflection of the inputs in his life or the lack of inputs. He's out in the world. His brother despises him. His sister is there, but not a big support. His mother is dealing with her own issues from 
generations that what she's and his father is you know from work to to worry and then not work uh and then he's passing his frustration you know by beating the son or whatever the case may be so self-hate is not something that was generated by brian i feel like it's a mirror of Absolutely. experiences that he's had to uh and we all respond to that in, in very very different ways um and i said like what you all pre- might see like in the introduction that lenny gave and what you see Teresa, and what you might experience um there are many, many days where Brian's sense of ineptitude or not fitting in and not counting, not like I have carried that for decades. I mask it via productivity and, you know, and I'm just like trying to forge ahead. But the but the emotional weight is still there being processed. Like people conflate this often and they'll say, oh, well, men who aren't open about the sexuality on the DL. And I and I try to draw a fine line between this idea of being down low for whatever sexual exploits and this idea of being straight passing. I've never, you can ask anyone when I've dated, was I going from woman to man, woman to man? That's not the case. But I will assign myself as straight passing in the same way that white people or black people who could pass for white are using the economic, the social, the political covering of whiteness to navigate this world in the same manner that I use the political, the economic and social covering of heteronormativity to navigate this world. The bros were not going to invite me to be the bros if I've been openly gay. 100 Black Men, Boule, all these organizations that I I might be like connected to uh, uh, or uh, affiliated with in some some degree, um, they're never going to invite me in with this identity. At least, at least not not back then. Not back, not then. back then, exactly. Not back then. Facts. Um, and so I navigated the world, and just like that 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 black brother or that black sister who's walking around looking white, there's an anxiety of being found out in every space you try to infiltrate. So on, did you deserve to be there? You're performing. You don't ever get to be there, and you're there. But if somebody knew this one thing about you, you would be excommunicated and and asked to leave that space. In that same way. A straight passing man or anybody, I'm navigating and hoping that nobody's going to say, but what about this? And so I learned how to perform. I can be straighter than, than most straight people can be straight because I, I knew all the damn rules of doing <laughs> it and passing it and, and 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 performing it so that I could keep my spot. Um, but I, the reason I love the book is because I kept trying to pursue this currency. Like, let me be smart. Let me go to the best schools. And, I, and I'm I'm ambitious. But I knew there was another piece of it saying like, OK, this also keeps me, you know, in the club. Um, and from it was a, something else driving that. And it, you yeah, said it. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm driven by, uh, by several things. And so I'm pursuing it. And every time I would get one of those nuggets, it was never enough currency emotionally for me. Never enough. And I kept I, I kept trying to go for it. But that's a theme. And but that and that's also a theme in almost everything that we discuss. And, you know, even what you gave the comparison on, you know, it we're always as a people trying to be to in this country, 
you know, in this country, you have to be something to get something at all times. And like in with the currency, you're always, there's always this strive to be something else, something more. And sometimes it's just okay to be who you are in our insecurities sometimes keep us from even actualizing our full potential that we would be accepted because of the fear that's out there and the anxiety of that. And then once you figure it out, it wasn't even as hard as you might've thought it was going to be but because the quick, love is there. Real quick. The love is there. Love is there. And I, and I, and, if, and at, a, at a micro level, I didn't tell my parents until a couple of years ago. And I, I had assigned to them the horror stories that other people had told me about their parents. I've come to know it's the exact opposite with my parents. So on the micro level, I'm beyond blessed and beyond fortunate. You know, Brian, I discussed this same thing, right? Very different. You know, my dad, also an Omega, said to me, um, I, I survived Brown versus Board. And as an educator, my classroom was mixed. And so I wanted everybody in my class to learn. And you're my son, so I want you to have whatever I got. I mean, extraordinary. 84-year-old Black Omega man. Then he follows up with, can you send me and your mom some articles so that we could be informed and supportive? Un heard of, right? I'm sitting there, blew my mind that they was, were they saying this. And my mom was like, this is a battle that you've been fighting. You owe nobody anything. You, We got your back. I mean, just I'm, I, I assign it to them. But the reason we're afraid, you say, just be. Well, statistically, queer children have more incidents of bullying. Queer children have more incidents of not only suicide ideation, but suicidal attempts. Queer children have more attempts on being disciplined in the classroom because they're not following gender norms. Queer children are have more incidents of being expelled and in detention. Queer children in urban areas and some rural areas have less access to LGBTQ information and sexual information than any other child. So this idea of just be, okay, I will just be, but the world is not even showing up to meet me where I am. And so this idea of just being is 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 fathomable at, at a high level but in the reality just being could get me beaten up expelled kicked out and pushed to the side even more than just trying to cope with a little bit of straightness i can walk here with there when, you, when you're telling me i'm gonna see what i can be so that i'm not attacked that's the alternative with, 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 yes when yes. Derek's telling that story i'm thinking about it in the book the story where Brian's talking about uh, listening to his mom and them uh, listening to Luther Vandross. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> they were so yeah. disappointed in Luther Vandross. <laughs> and I was so upset with them. But Brian kept saying, I hope they just get past all that and enjoy him for his melodic voice. Because Brian can sing too. And that's well, that well, Brian. Well, because Brian, Brian knows... wants to be accepted for just who he is as well. So right, they can right. And my talent to Derek's point and not take a brush and just ruin everything that I put together and this beautiful canvas that I've, I took all this time to create just because no, nigga, you, you, think, you think I'm a sissy. Right. And, and I think that like we said, we, we find ourselves in these positions and, of course, in ignorant areas and places where, you know, even places where I've been, 
that's why we find ourselves trying to leave those places. You know, we left Florida, which is can be progressive in certain ways, but you just want to be somewhere where people are educated, where you can support. Uh, people understand that the world is a lot larger than what they thought it was and that the agenda that is being presented before us is really just a crock of bull. Um, I just sent you all the article the other day about the senator who, or whatever he was, you know, he voted, voted and then against went to <laughs> and then went to his son's wedding. Now, one of the Republican congressmen who voted against protecting same-sex marriage attended his gay son's wedding three days later. The Respect for Marriage Act passed the House last Tuesday, but 157 Republicans voted no on that bipartisan bill. Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson was one of them. He voted no. He said, no, not going to defend gay marriage. His press secretary argued it was nothing more than an election year messaging stunt. But after his gay son's wedding in a statement, his spokeswoman said Thompson and his wife were thrilled to attend and celebrate their son's marriage on Friday night as he began this new chapter in his life, adding they are very happy to welcome their new son-in-law into the family. You know, it's just, it's very hypocritical. Go to against same-sex marriage and then go to his son's wedding like three it is, later. It, it is just, you know, it's this I'm country. I'm happy to welcome Steve into my family. Politicians are so fake, man. Yeah, they man. are so fake. That is crazy. We're proud of, we're proud of Steve and Dave. But I voted against it, though. Hey, I wanted to say this. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to go back to what Walt said about the writing and his skills in writing and how he was able to cultivate his skills in writing by taking his sister's journal and just started journaling himself. But one of the very first things that jumped out to me in his writing style, and I, I'm jumping, I know this is really for a lit bar, but I just wanted to give the audience an idea. You know, we talk about him and his self-loathing and how his low self-esteem but one of the bars, it kind of speaks to that. He said, two dark-skinned it with teeth in my head crawling all over each other like they were trying to escape a house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. You know, I mean, and, then, and I look at Yo, that's a joke man. that would have the whole bus falling out laughing. Oh my gosh. Your teeth look <laughs> like people crawling over the house. Fire. I don't <laughs> I mean, this pic, he's a cute little boy. I, I just, you know, and that was the other thing that I kept where he thinking. Where from, right, Teresa? Like, where he it's like, I was from? like, why? Because you are a cute little boy. And I just, you know, it's just very sad to to see how people can do this to you. It, it is it is just, you know, as a mom, and I guess because that's who I am to my core, it's just really hard to see that this is happening to anyone where there are all of these resources to see other things. And, you know, that, and I think that his mom did quite a bit, you know, she did the best she could in the situation that she was in herself. Cause she even, you know, she was like, boy, put that shirt back. You know, it's pink. Why do you want to wear this pink shirt? And, but she but did, you know, she was like, you know what? 
hey, you know, you want the shirt, we'll get the shirt. Mother's love. And, you know, we do see those things in our children, and there are just so many things. And it doesn't even have to just be about gay. It's about all types of things that children want to be. And you want to support them. But the world does not allow that to happen. And you just go out here and you do the best that you can. So I do believe that she did try to support him in the only way that she knew how. And I also want to say that the dad really felt like he was protecting him. He really, I mean, I have a really close friend who both of her sons are gay and she just is not hurt because of that. She is hurt because she is afraid for them. She is afraid of she, you know, all of us want our children, my own. I just want their lives to be happy and easy. Happy and easy. That's what I work so hard for. So your life could be happy and easy. So when you tell me something that I know is going to make your life difficult, it's going to make me sad. Not to mention the fact that you feel like you're going to miss something. I think the first thing in everything, you know, with my children too, you can be whatever you want to be, but I would have to mourn the fact that what I thought was going to be the case. So if my daughter tells me she's gay, then that means that I have to say, oh man, I thought you was going to have a husband and some kids and we were going to do it this way. But that was what I thought. So and it, it that doesn't, but that's, then I have to say, but that's not me and it's not my life. And it does take a minute to get past that. But then you get past it. And I think that most people can when they understand what their argument is. That's a very honest, uh, honest mm-hmm. answer, especially mm-hmm. coming from uh, a mother. That was uh, that was two things that I, I wanted to address that stood out to me in this book. You just mentioned one about his father, right? And his father loving him. Two things. Number one, we were just talking about love and expressing yourself and being black and suppressing our feelings to me when i hear that it's two things as a man i was always told as a man you should always have your emotions under control and if we don't know how to control our emotions or if our emotions are so overwhelming from uh the elements that life brings to us what we do is the easiest way to control our emotions is to just suppress our emotions. A lot of black men and black families, we wing it. We don't have real examples of growing up with a mom and dad in the house and seeing how they control their emotions and their conflict. So we kind of grow up single parent or whatever. So we wing it and we just suppress our emotions. So we teach that to our children. Hey, you're not supposed to cry or you're not supposed to feel these things. What we're saying is you can feel these things. What we're really trying to say, you can feel these things, but we can't let these emotions drive our decisions. That's one thing. The second thing in this book, when I was reading it, coming from the, like I mentioned in the beginning of the book, the antagonist, I was the antagonist. I think in the 80s, the 90s, and before then, when you spoke about gay because nobody was never open about gay. It was always them. And it was always they. It was never anybody close to you or anybody close to you that said that they were gay. So it was almost like an anomaly, like them people over there. Now today, them people over there are right here with us. And I think it was the brave people yeah, that I didn't started. Grow up in that world, dog. You don't know that. 
tell your story, but I didn't grow up in that world. Go ahead. All right. It's, I think it was the brave people that's coming out today and people like uh, are happy and living within themselves and saying, hey, I'm gay. And it's allowing children to grow up and seeing it more than what we saw it growing up. Because, again, it was always like them, they, over there. Now it's here, right here, my friend, the person that I go to school with, my classmate, my my uh, my partner in my group. And it was like that for us, but nobody was brave enough to say that I was gay because of the things that came along with that. And I think it's normalized now. And so I, now since it's normalized, then we can have these discussions. I and wonder. that's why... Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I say, I, I say, I, I think, I think, like in today's society, television gives us more exposure. Uh, television gives us more exposure and an introduction at an earlier level of what gayness may possibly be. Um, growing up, obviously, I'm from the South as well too. I didn't see that many television shows that displayed man on man or woman on woman relationships. Uh, growing up, or any TV shows, you know. But fast forward now to this day, it's countless amount of TV shows. Like one of the most hit TV shows on, on right now on TV, which is what P Valley, right? Expresses obviously the, the 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 gay lifestyle of a Uncle Clifford. Right, 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 right. So, but that's one thing. The second thing I wanted to note that what Harvard was hitting on this as well. Too, I didn't grow up in that manner as well too, but I did have a gay aunt in my family, but she was like a manly, manly butch type gay woman. You know what I mean? Like hood to the core, to this day still, you know, my family always accepted her as such, said she was different, but never recognized the fact that she was, never would come out and actually say that she was gay. But my aunt always had girlfriends. Hella hoes. Excuse my friend. Always had girlfriends. <laughs> more you know than I mean? most. But, more than most. She was the inspiration. Hey, look, hey, look, look Lenny. Typical down south goes in the mouth, More breast cut, views. the whole That's what we learned it from. Always That's what we learned it from. Come on, man. I but like look, my aunt older. was more so like that guy mm-hmm. Corey, which is his friend growing up. My aunt taught me masculine skills as far as anytime I would go across town. That wasn't Corey. No, no, his homeboy is a bitch. No, his homeboy Corey. His home, bro. Look, his homeboy yeah. Corey was Corey trying to get him the blueprint high. of how a young black male right. should act. As far as make him right. tough, make him hard. Like, bro, yeah. why are you And he was looking at Corey while Corey was doing all that Corey? tough talk. He was about to grab the back of his head Corey. and give him a kiss. Who was Corey? Corey was his Corey homeboy. Corey was the, well, Corey, the friend that he Corey was, was the guy that set him up, that he was hanging out with. What are you talking about? Shut, what, what, in, in, in his early childhood, in the book. Oh, and when, the, when he, when he oh, that girl Okay, you know what? I feel like, who's Corbin? Who's Corbin? Who's Corbin? Dog, the girl was 11, 12. She was. And she she just wanted to go home. She wanted her, her candy and go home. Her candy bad. and her chips. She, yeah. It was not her first time. She was she like, was like this is how you're supposed to do it. Yeah, that reminded yeah. me of Heavy. And I was like, see, this you. is all that whole black circle. Thank God I didn't grow up like but this. Thank you, Jesus. And we Amen. Have to deal with it. Man, it's, it's two the things. truth. It's two it's things that's rattling. This is really. That's really what? rattling on me, Derek, that I wanted to ask you. And it's not, I just, so two things. So the conversation with your parents, to Lennon's point, because of when it happens in your life, right? You're not 20 when you have this conversation with your parents. You are a well-accomplished individual in your own right. And they've seen what you can do, right? 
And does that make the conversation perhaps they're ready for it now because they've watched you grow in one regard. The other thing I'm, I'm questioning that you mentioned was the term heteronormativity because I often wonder, like, we don't make assumptions that heterosexual people are all sexually active, right? There's heterosexual people who are abstinent and we don't say nothing about them. So some reason we make homosexuality always to be about sex. Yeah, and I think the bigger issue is heteronormativity. Like, do we understand what that is before we even get to who we are as sexual beings? Because I think that's where I have an issue with today's, if you will, in our face with acceptance today. Because it's like, I don't think that's what we need to be pushing. I don't think every time we cut the television on, we need to see people kissing, whether it be men, women, 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 men, women. It don't matter. I don't think we need to see that all the time, right? So how do we, how do we, I know that's a, two different things, right? So it's like, where are you in your life when you have this conversation in terms of are your parents accepting because now they they, they see what you are, what you're capable of versus really what is this gay shit all about? And why, why, why we hung up on that so much? Yeah, I, I think we were simultaneously getting ready. You know, it wasn't spoken, um, but I think we were probably simultaneously getting better at... Um, seeing each other, getting better at understanding the world and ourselves as well. Um, It would have been very different had I told them earlier. I would have been asking for acceptance or forgive me for being this way. I would have I would have classified who I was as, you know, this lifestyle. But I'm like, hey, it's no lifestyle. Skiing is a lifestyle. Backpacking is a lifestyle. Me being gay is not a lifestyle. Right, it's right, who I right. am, right? It's who you are. So that's now, what does this and that's, mean? That's one of the things. But and I, and I would have been a completely different person, and I had to build up the the, the strength to uh to do it because I got pushed into silence, um, through many of the examples that I saw, you know, growing up. I had um from some uh, neighbors across the street from my grandma's house, set of twins. One was gay and one wasn't. And then uh, my cousin was like, "Oh, you know, Granny say uh." Seth says can't come over here. His brother can, but he can't because he got some strange ways. And it's just like, well, I'm I, I ain't took in this tank. So it's just like and you, keep, <laughs> you keep being shoved into your closet because you see the people reminding you what they feel about this uh, about you. And so you're like, well, not today. You know, <laughs> it, it won't happen today. And what's interesting in, in, for me, there's this idea of refuge and, re- and rebuke. And like I, I see black spaces as spaces of refuge. And then you get in there and you're like, but you ain't the black we need. And then so this black space becomes a space that rebukes you. And so you're like, damn, I know the white world is not really wanting me at, at the table with them. So I go home and now home is like, uh, nigga, we got a lot of issues going on. We can't let you add this other chink in our armor. <laughs> I, get, I get homosexuality uh, and I get homophobia in the black community to be, to be laced with racism. I get it. It's like, look, we already fighting the struggle. Like, don't don't add this other thing. It's like now, you, now you've got us limping, and we already limping. So you add to to our limp. Thank you for tuning in to part one of this four part series of Brain Brooms. Punch me up to the gods. Remember, subscribe, share with your friends, give us a five star rating, and come back. Turn the rain on the